0: It's Emily here, and today I want to invite you to make sure to check out Robin Hood Integrative Health. If you are a resident of the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area, and you're looking for a doctor who treats you differently, looks deeper into the issues that you're having, and seeks to hear you as a person and really help to get you better, then I can't recommend Robin Hood Integrative Health, where Dr. Wiggy practices enough. Make sure that you go to their website and see how you can benefit from their services today. And did you know that they even take some insurances, which basically never happens in integrative medicine? So make sure to check them out and enjoy the episode. everybody and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily and Dr. Wiggy and we are going to be talking about a very sensitive but important topic, a medical topic today and that is hair loss. So there are many reasons, uh, many conditions that cause hair loss but it can be something that's very overwhelming for both women and men, um, especially as we get older, and, or when it happens suddenly, and there are lots of different underlying causes for hair loss. So we're gonna scratch the surface today with a couple of those with Dr. Wiege's expertise, and uh, let's just roll. So how many, of what percentage of your patients would you say complain of hair loss about something or the other?
1: That's a somewhat difficult question to answer as far as a percentage goes. I, you I don't
0: keep those statistics
1: in my head, kind of an <laughs> estimate. Um, but I'll, I'll do my best as far as guessing as what percentage that I, that I see. I'll tell you this though, um, it's definitely a significant percentage. Yeah, and I'd say it's it's actually increasing in in number. I'm having a lot more people uh, complain about hair loss. Um, again, I don't know. Probably one out of Maybe one out of six maybe complain about hair loss, Good. something like that. Use yeah. a couple couple per day, is usually I have some complaints about that, and those are just the people that bring it up, right? You know, a lot of people either are too embarrassed by it, or they're seeing somebody else uh, like dermatology or something, and so they feel like they're already having it addressed, right? So it's it's a significant percentage, um, and like I said, it's a very um, it's a very it is a very sensitive topic for people, <clears throat> for I'd probably say for women more than more than men, right? But both. Well, I think
0: culturally it's more acceptable for men to lose hair as they get older and then they just shave their heads and like, oh, it's like the, the, the sexy bald guy look. And that's (laughs) just like like women don't, most women don't shave their heads and feel that way. Right. So Mm
1: -hmm. when, so so when, you know, a woman brings this up to me, I I definitely take this very seriously because I do think that that is, it's not vanity. That's not vain. It does represent probably some underlying health issues. But I think it's also really important to Mm -hmm. fix because if you don't feel good about your hair or about the way you you look or, you know, those types of things, it does affect you overall with your health. So I think it's an important thing to address.
0: Well, and for women, our hair is a significant part of our appearance. Not so much like you look amazing or you don't, but like hair is like part of what – it frames our face, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not vain as much as it is this is how I've always – looked and it's so drastically different and like I don't know what's going on and that's just yeah yeah
1: yeah no I think it should be I think it should be taken seriously and I think unfortunately it's oftentimes just brushed aside Mm -hmm. as like oh well you know try this or you Mm -hmm. know or well I'll send you to dermatology where when it actually is a very complicated process because there's lots of factors that affect hair growth and so we have to look at all these different factors in order to help get the hair back to the way it was
0: okay so let's start with what would you say is the most um, common underlying cause of hair loss and excuse our dog she hasn't gone on a you-know-what yet today we can't say out loud and she's so whiny and she's hanging out with us so if you hear whining that's not a child it's the dog so well so the most
1: common I'll give you kind of a list of the most common because it's usually not just one thing in particular uh, I would say these are the things that you, you definitely need to consider. So low thyroid, that's very common. That's one of the most common symptoms of low thyroid. And that means suboptimal thyroid, not necessarily full-blown hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, then low iron, also very common uh, with hair loss. Hormone imbalance, either uh, too much or too little of certain hormones. Uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone all need to be considered. And then other vitamin and minerals as well. So vitamin D is uh, another important one, and uh, vitamin B12. So there are there are a handful, and that's, those are just the um, the basic ones. There are also some other uh, variables that should be considered, and this is we've seen this some with uh, after COVID, is that hair is also very sensitive to toxins and inflammation. So if there is increased inflammation in the body, or if there's increased toxicity toxicity from from something, uh, so we see this with different environmental toxins, cosmetics, you you name it, as well as again, uh, kind of the spike protein toxicity. We're seeing lots of different uh, lots of different inflammatory causes for hair loss as well. So I know it's a lot, but
0: well, well, yes. And so what I would imagine is it can be really hard to pinpoint mm-hmm. what is the trouble, what is the problem. Which, of course, is always the challenge with integrative medicine because yeah. oftentimes people come to you with a symptom complaint and there's 50 different things that can be causing yep. that. And That's
1: rather than treat
0: the symptom, you start to dig deeper. Yeah. Um, so let's go back and talk about how do you end up. So, talk about that process when mm-hmm. we're talking about hair loss. Sure. How you might begin to dig and dive and. Te- with testing or, um, supplements and th- and such?
1: Well, I'll start with just kind of the run of the mill hair loss versus, you know, like post COVID hair loss. Cause it, it's, it's different. So if someone just comes in and say, Hey, I've just been losing hair, seems to be getting worse, you know, can you help me figure this out? So first thing I do is we do some, some testing. So we try to identify what specific deficiencies this person has. So my general, general workup will be uh, a full thyroid panel so that's free T4, free T3, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies, TSH. A full hormone panel, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, pregnenolone. And then a micronutrient panel. So iron for sure. That includes a iron, ferritin, total iron binding capacity and percent uh, saturation. And then vitamin D and vitamin B12. That's usually my kind of standard workup for just run-of-the-mill hair loss.
0: And then, what what happens? What are you really looking for um, in those tests to help help Mm -hmm. you diagnose or not? Yes, diagnose, I guess. What, where those triggers might be?
1: Sure. So the main thing that I'm looking for are what I call suboptimal levels, and a lot of times for hair loss. It is multifactorial, so it's usually not just one thing in particular. For some people, it is. For some people, it's just one specific deficiency. Correct that deficiency, and, and they're, they're good. But usually what I see is that there's a handful of kind of low low levels that all are contributing or all are, are, are factors uh, with the hair loss. So for like a thyroid level, for example, uh, they may have you know, normal labs, and I put normal in quotations because they, they may be within the range, but they're on the low end of the range. So like free T3, for example, that range is about 2.0 to 4.4, pretty broad range. Because if a person is 2.4, they're normal, Mm -hmm. but they're not the same as someone around 4.4. It's a really big, it's actually a really big range. If you think about that, because thyroid controls pretty much so many different processes in our body. Mm -hmm. If you have a 2.2 free T3 compared to a 4.4, that's twice as much. Mm. So it's not a little difference. I know it looks like, oh, it's just two points difference. No, it's twice as much difference, right? And that, that is a big change, but that's within the normal range. So we look for we look for optimal levels. So that's thyroid is one of those examples. Again, iron I think is really important uh, for hair, and this is another one where the levels can be normal but not optimal. So for like uh, percent saturation, for example, the range is like fifteen to like fifty five, I believe. Can be so if the percent saturation is 20, oh, it's normal but it's not optimal right we want up around 35 or higher same thing with ferritin ferritin is a storage form of iron you know the range for that is very broad Uh, and so a lot of times if the levels like 30 or something they say well that's normal your iron levels are fine but no you need for hair you need your ferritin levels up around 75 or higher Hmm. and so we'd look at optimizing all these different levels and uh, again really once you optimize these levels the hair does tend to respond pretty quickly Uh, you know, uh, to keep going down this path, you know, hormone levels also very important. This is a little bit different than those other levels because this is more about balance. Mm -hmm. So if estrogen levels are really high and progesterone levels are low, that actually can be problematic. If testosterone levels are really high and the other hormone levels are low, that can be problematic. So there's different ways that we balance the hormones depending on what we see. And that's where it's so individualized is that there's there's not a one size fits all. It's like, oh, here, everyone take Finasteride, for example, it's a pretty common hair loss medication that blocks the effect of testosterone on the hair. Mm -hmm. That can be helpful if their testosterone levels are really high, but not so helpful if their testosterone levels are normal.
0: Right. Well, and on that note, I mean, there are all kinds of things marketed to women about like hair, skin and nails supplements. Would you say that those kind of in the generic form are probably not worth investing in or does it I mean obviously again it might depend on what the issue is but on a broader scale mm-hmm. would you say that something that something more targeted is generally better
1: oh for sure so I don't think it's bad to get started you know if you're like hey I'm it's worrying me I'm, I'm losing a lot of hair what should I do you know taking a hair skin nails product we have a good one in the store just to like hey let's just start the start the process and start mm-hmm. covering our bases but for the vast majority of people that's not enough You actually have to find what the specific deficiencies are, and you have to to target those deficiencies. Uh, You know, I was talking about iron earlier. You get a little bit of iron in most of those products, you know, so it helps some, but you're generally limited as far as how much iron you can absorb through your gut. You have bowel tolerance. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, if you start getting too much iron, you start getting constipation, you start getting stomach upset and indigestion. So you really can't take that much iron for what most people need when their levels are low. So we've seen that actually doing IV iron is very effective mm. uh, for helping hair come back and help at least slowing down the hair loss and helping it to regrow, because it's what we found is that it's really hard to replete replace um, iron levels with oral supplements. Right, we can stabilize levels, but we can't actually get them back to optimal levels. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we'll optimize their levels, get their ferritin up above 75, and then we'll put them on like a supplement in order to maintain the levels. And even then sometimes it's not enough.
0: Makes sense. Um, what about for postpartum hair loss? I know postpartum, the body is going through lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And obviously the the you know estrogen, progesterone levels are affected a lot. A lot of women's thyroid kind of gets thrown Mm -hmm. off after childbirth. I know for me, that was, I definitely lost a ton of hair compared to what I used to have. I still have plenty of hair, fortunately. And it never really recovered even after optimizing my thyroid and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, it's better, way better than it was. but um, And and so I think there is some naturally during aging, we do seem to not have quite as much hair as sure but we're not talking about bald spots either um i know a lot of people a lot of women feel overwhelmed when they're breastfeeding they feel like they can't really do anything about right. it so is right. that the case or is there some things that can, maybe could be done during if, if a woman is breastfeeding and experiencing hair loss
1: so yes and no, it, it does complicate things with breastfeeding, just because you have to be careful with what's getting into the breast milk. So you can't, you can't be real aggressive on, uh, on treating certain things. With postpartum, it is generally an issue with the endocrine system. That's the hormones, thyroid, cortisol, mm-hmm. kind of those three, those three legs of the stool, because what we see with pregnancy is that hormone levels are off the charts you know they're they're really high uh, that's when you have thick
0: luscious hair which
1: is a good which is <laughs> it's, it's very protective it's good for good for the mom good for the baby there's there's benefits of those levels being that being that high but what happens is that after pregnancy those levels plummet right. they they crash and so you go from having these nice healthy robust levels to having low levels especially when you're breastfeeding and so your body doesn't know what to do with that when it when it causes such a huge change Mm -hmm. uh you know the things that you can do you can still uh, you can still optimize the micronutrients you know you can still optimize vitamin d and iron and b12 you can still work on work on those and then you can you can do some gentle things for hormone balancing some natural things but we generally don't start messing with any sort of hormone replacement or any sort of Hormone optimization, mm-hmm. because that can affect the, the breastfeeding. Right. So we generally don't go down that path. You can also optimize the thyroid. So there, there are things you can do, but you have to be gentler and you have to be more conservative when someone's breastfeeding.
0: Sure. Okay. Um, let's shift and talk about post-COVID because that is kind of the hot topic of the mm-hmm. moment. Um, that is post-COVID and post-vaccine or, you know, post um spike protein exposure, yeah. whatever that looks like, hair loss seems to be a really big deal. I feel like I hear about it multiple times per week, um, along with, of course, other lingering issues. But would you talk a little bit about the prevalence of that that maybe you're seeing, and then they, why that approach is different, and what yeah. that approach looks like?
1: So post-COVID, or yeah, post let's just call it post-spike protein exposure, that is definitely causing a lot of hair loss. So I'd say that's part of the reason why we've seen so many more cases uh, or people are complaining about hair loss just because COVID has been around. Uh, it is complicated to address because it's basically all the other variables that I was talking about already, you know, the iron, vitamin D, B12, hormones, thyroid, cortisol. It's all of those things because it's such a stressor on the body being sick. And also the, the vaccine is a stressor on the body. So it's all those variables. And then add on on top of that, kind of this inflammatory reaction that happens. And then add on top of that, kind of this this, uh, toxic component to the spike protein. So it is fairly challenging to start to address all these issues. So you do need to look at it like the basic stuff. So you have to look at all those things that we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier. But then what I like to do is I do like to check a COVID antibody level to kind of give a, a rough estimate for what their spike protein's exposure level was and how much, how, what sort of inflammatory response their body had. So if someone has a low level of spike protein antibodies after the fact, I'm generally not as concerned about the inflammatory and toxic component to it. But what I've seen is a lot of people, and this could be, again, either for the virus or the vaccine, we see that their antibody levels are off the charts. Mm-hmm. They're super high. So we can actually check the level of antibodies, <laughs> And it gives us a range.
0: Mm-hmm. I would like to pause there because I think some people might be feeling really confused right now because we've been told for three years now that having really high antibody levels is a good thing mm. and that that's what the goal is, right? Right. So we, would you just like, to, I know this isn't like a COVID episode, but could you just touch on why, well, I mean, obviously this is one that high high antibodies do cause problems, but... Why is that actually not a good snapshot of immunity? And we've talked about this in detail before, but I think sure. it's important to touch on quickly.
1: Yeah, I'll give kind of the kind of two-sentence uh, version for this. So the main problem with antibody production is that it's only one part of the immune system. So it doesn't determine the entire level of immunity. So that should not be, be our only goal. And the other problem with it is that it's, it's not just more the better. Mm-hmm. So you do wanna have a you know, immune response because you do want to develop antibodies to the spike protein. That's the point of the vaccine. That's the, the main reason why you why you give it is for those antibodies. But that's the only thing that it that it bumps up. That's the only thing that it that it increases. What we see when the levels are just off the charts, when they're really high, is that this is actually an exaggerated response. Mm-hmm. It's an it's a over immune response more than even what we what you generally shoot for because it it seems to be when there's such a high level is that that results in more side effects Mm -hmm. it also results in this more of this inflammatory response Mm -hmm. and the one of the challenging things is is that we are seeing those levels stay high and they can stay high for a long time and so if we're getting these and which that and what that indicates is that you're getting this high level of spike protein production ongoing and that's just ongoing inflammatory toxic storm that causes, again, that causes more of these side effects. So no, you don't always want more, the better. Almost anybody, if you check them, like right after they get sick or right after they get the vaccine, they'll have really high levels, right. which again is what, what do we expect. But then what should happen naturally with the immune system is that the levels should kind of naturally go down over time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happens. But when they stay super high for a really long period of time, again, that's where we're running into, I think, more of this cumulative effect, mm-hmm. this cumulative dose effect. Where it, like I said we're seeing more issues from it than than like I said than true just the strengthening of the immune system.
0: Right. Okay. Sorry. So let's talk back about the hair when it comes to those high levels of antibodies. Yeah. So
1: so let's just say that, that their levels are really high. Mm-hmm. So we want to do some things to bind what the antigen is, which is the, is the, the spike protein. We want to bind that and try and try and get it out. So there are some natural things that we can do for that Uh, stinging nettle is a a nice option so we use we use a product that has stinging nettle in it we use that a couple times throughout the day i think glutathione is our natural body's natural detoxification molecule so we can use that as well and that binds it and pulls it out Uh, that is one of the benefits of ivermectin ivermectin does have some spike protein binding capacity so that's another thing that can be considered uh, but generally, I'll use more of the natural things because this is something where it's you can take them, take them longer term over time. It is something we do want to kind of address over a period of time. And we'll watch those levels as we go along to see if the levels will start start coming down. <clears throat> if they don't start coming down, we get a little bit more aggressive because, like I said, they should be coming down somewhat over time. So a lot of times we'll add in some things <clears throat> for the spike protein binding. We'll add in things for the inflammatory response. So we'll add in things like turmeric uh, tart cherry, those are some nice options, <clears throat> and then we also add in some things for the immune system dysregulation that we sometimes see with that. And those are things like CBD oil or low-dose naltrexone. Those are things that can help kind of balance the immune system. So you can see if we're addressing all those underlying factors, and then we add on top of it kind of the spike protein issue, it can get kind of overwhelming.
0: Sure, that's a lot for. That's a lot of uh, supplements every day. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: and most people, again, it's not everything.
0: Oh, sure. Most people,
1: it's a yeah. handful of things that right. they have to address.
0: Right. So, and and I would imagine that it takes a, some time to mm-hmm. to address and, okay, say, okay, that wasn't it, or this isn't working all the way the way we want to, so we're going to have this one, we're going to change this, and, and that's a process. And um, so, it's just important for us to remember that. When we are seeking wellness, it is a long-term investment and it takes the commitment of both sides, right? Sure so
1: absolutely. So.
0: Any last thoughts on hair loss and how we might be able to address it?
1: No, I think it'll often a lot of times I'll end kind of the episode just saying that you have to be your own advocate in, in certain circumstances and I'd say this is this is one of them. One, it's not it's not normal to be losing hair. Mm-hmm. So if you are losing a lot of hair, and you know if you're losing more hair than you used to be, that is abnormal, and it is an indication that there's some sort of imbalance or deficiency going on in your body. Right. So you need to do the work. You need to do the workup. You need to do the lab work. You need to find someone that can interpret the labs to say these levels are not optimal or they are. And by addressing those things again, we get we get good results at our practice. So we've had, again, we've seen. I see it every day. Uh, when levels are optimal, the hair comes back, comes yeah. back thicker, fuller, um, stronger, and so so there is hope as well. So don't feel like you know you've been told that there's nothing that can be done. Most of the time, what traditional medicine can offer is they offer like topical therapies or they offer these one size fits all medications. Right, but those don't necessarily work. They do. They are useful for certain circumstances. Like if their indication is right, then we can use those those specific targeted therapies. But you need to be addressing the underlying problem. If you don't address the underlying problem, throwing things at it just to see what sticks doesn't generally work.
0: And one thing we didn't talk about specifically, but I know that our audience has a lot of concern about, is menopause as well, which would be similar to postpartum. It's mm-hmm. just you're looking for different things. Yeah. And you can balance those hormones better in order to help have a better shift through the... Change of life, right?
1: Yeah, I can give a, yeah, a couple of thoughts on menopause. It's actually easier postmenopausal compared to postpartum. Sure. Because postmenopausal levels are just low. Right. So you've kind of stopped producing hormones and so you've lost all the benefits of those hormones. So we can just kind of optimize them. And that's actually relatively easy because we don't have to worry about natural production. We do have to worry about kind of turning them back on. Right. We just keep the levels in the optimal range. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you all for listening. We always love your requests um, as far as topic ideas. So if you have any questions about uh, integrative medicine, current event, health topics, um, family, marriage, and any kind of other experts that we might be able to bring on the show, let us know. We're always interested in hearing your ideas. And please do leave us a review on wherever you're listening. And thanks for listening.